News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Welcome to Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. I'm Alan Gilbreth with DarkOakMedia.com. And I'm Maximilian. You'll dig this. Today's National Archaeology Day. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, but I'm... Archaeology, we can salute that for sure. Oh, yeah. So it's time to go play in the dirt, dig uh, something up. Uh, thanks, Max. You know, Max always keeps us on top of this. It, it, it's probably not going to be nearly as big of a party as National Octopus Day, which oh, we celebrated last week. But uh, hey, we we can we can have fun. Go watch uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> go watch all four. What all four or five of them? So anyway. Uh, we don't count number four. Yeah. We don't, we don't talk about four. Yeah. We don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> hey, and also we invite you to, uh, if you want to weigh in and tell us how you're celebrating National Archaeology Day, you can give us a call or text at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And it really behooves you to go to the uh, to go to Tool Talk Radio over on Facebook. I've already posted the must-have item of the week, Alan. I've already posted a video of something we're going to be discussing in honor of Halloween and in honor of that, you know, your favorite time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, for our great moments in building history, we are going to talk about really the world's weirdest airport. Uh, oh, we got to be talking about Denver. Denver International yes. Airport, uh, DIA. Something about those initials sound creepy. Yeah. It sounds vaguely governmental and a little close to two DOA. Yeah, and, more like and, dead and arrival. Right. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But it is, It's it, in terms of a construction project, it's really fascinating. But also there is layers of conspiracy and all sorts of weirdness associated with I that. I actually uh, get to use the word lizard people on a tool show. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're going we're gonna to dive deep into that one. Um, Alan, uh, speaking of uh, archaeology, the McBasement. Oh, this yeah. This is an interesting uh, oh, topic. Oh, it, 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 it's a deep subject. It's going deep, and I don't think we'll <laughs> over-tease that one because that one sounds very interesting, and it's sort of a new, a new, um, you know, new crate, uh, a new uh, trend, I guess, that's happening. Um, well, Alan, you know, dry, a dry summer equals falling trees. Am I right? Uh, oh, we had a pretty heavy gosh. rain the other day, and we're paying the price. So. But the gosh. amount of limb damage I have been dealing with this week is epic. Yeah, the the hill that we're going to die on, and the the you know what we're going to echo mm. and scream from the rooftops to with our last dying breath is keep your trees watered. I mean, we do not want to be seeing another ice storm. You know. Oh my gosh! To, yes. So we're going to discuss that. Um, uh, we got a lot of other stuff, Alan. I better quit over teasing this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I even think a Critter Wars might sneak into the discussion. So oh, who, it has to. Who can it say? Has to. And as we say, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call or text at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline, 901-683-0989. Okay, uh, Alan, um, this is not a text. This is a PSA, and it's for me. Mm. <laughs> and the reason oh. is, is, hey, we are, you know... I always think it's exciting or at least, you know, illuminative when you learn something new. Even after all of these years of working with tools, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm some I'm still learning stuff. Sometimes okay. you have an experience that you never had before. Well, as, as a lot of you know who have been listening to Tool Talk Radio, I'm in the middle of remodeling my kitchen. You are. And among other things, we've made the... Um, uh, decision that what the heck we've we love the look of those so we've got white cabinets we're going to redo the cabinets bright white we're changing mm-hmm. the doors and we thought to top it off wouldn't it look cool to use one of those butcher block uh, countertops which we've stained to this beautiful kind of mm-hmm. chestnut color they're looking really good but anyway 
I have an area of the uh, counters, Alan, where I have to literally, I had to cut, um, I had to make about three cuts. I had to cut the butcher block in half because there's two sections. So, right, okay. Um, so I, the way I was going to just do this is I've got to, you know, how many times have we used our circular saw? The circular mm -hmm. saw mm -hmm. is sort of the go-to tool for things. So right. my thought was um, I have these, these uh, aluminum kind of glides that you can clamp onto a board and get a perfectly straight cut as long as you keep that circular saw rested next to the you know you'll get a nice mm -hmm. clean cut mm -hmm. well my my big my um since i was cutting across the grain and really since i'm cutting with a wood that i want it to look good when i'm done right i didn't want something that was going to chip so i went to my big box store and um you know i will say this i've been guilty of this in the past sometimes it's easy to just go for a long time without changing your blade on the circular. Uh, it's yeah. easy. You finish your work, you throw it in the truck or you throw it wherever, but really mm. those blades need to be changed. They wear out. They, they wear good. out. And as we said, a dull blade is a dangerous blade. So, but also not all blades are created equal. If you're out there framing a house and you just need to chop a two by four and a half, right. you want those bigger teeth because you don't, you know, you don't care what you it looks care. like. It, you just need to just get the job done. It ain't got to be pretty. Right? But when you're cutting uh, a butcher block in half and you want the, when, you know, because folks, if you don't know, uh, the smaller the teeth, or I should, what I should say is the more teeth on the, on the blade, right? Usually there's a tooth count. Right. And so that's kind of rule number one. But you, you need to look because, man, when you go to the big box store, there's literally like 30 different options of, Yes, of saw easily. of saw blades of the sizes and everything. So I grabbed one that said this is um, it guarantees the least amount of I don't know what they called it blowout or something. You know, right. so when you're cutting across the grain, it doesn't shred up the the top area. Right, it, it's pretty close to. It almost looks like a hacksaw blade. It's got a lot of little bitty teeth. Right, and it's not going to make that big chip of wood come flying out of the bottom. Right, which you, which you want when you're cross cutting and and even working with plywood or something. Well, the the thing about this is the butcher block is very thick. It's very dense, and so mm. I started cutting through it. I had the guide and everything, and. I was I was having a lot of trouble. It was jamming up, and I'm like, "What the heck is going on?" And you know how that feeling is when you when a blade pinches or something. Right. Like, it felt like a pinch blade, but I'm like, I don't know why it's pinching. I'm you know. So I started cutting. I'm I'm pushing it forward, and then I backed it off because it was just getting stuck. And eventually, um, I got through it, Alan. But it looked terrible. The edge was awful. And when I looked down the side of it. What it had done is that it literally bent the blade sideways. Ooh, ooh. And so I'm like, wait a minute. Why why is it doing this? And then I realized I looked at it and the thickness of the blade, it was too thin. Mm. I didn't know you could bend a circular saw blade. I <laughs> That's never happened to me before. I, I have to confess, I've done it once before myself. Were you doing a, a, a fine cut like this as well or... Um, exactly. Uh, and it was a similar case where I was using of a checkerboard glued together block wood. Okay. And Lots of different. Things. So there was different densities and textures and that little bitty thin blade because it was hitting mm -hmm. different resistance. Yep. You know, the top had been kind of soft. The bottom would be a little harder. So the blade wouldn't spin at the right speed. And it would kind of wobble a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not good. And and so, folks, if you run into a situation like this, we should say this is also true for most saws. Most saws, there is a blade for a particular job. If you're right. trying to take the sawzall and cut the limbs off of your tree, you better have that thick, 
you know, oh, yeah. foot-long yeah. blade mm -hmm. and the, the rigid one, because otherwise those things just flop around or whatever. Right. So. You you want the shrubbery blade. You don't want the um, you don't want the fine wood blade or the metal destruction blade. Right. right. So I went back to my big box store and I got another blade that, and, and what I did was I took the uh, old blade with me. And if you hold the packaging just right, you can look at the profile of it. And this new blade that I bought was probably literally a 16th of an inch thicker, but it was just that an amount thicker. The perfect amount to not bend. And so I took that blade, I went back and recut it, and man, that thing went through it like a hot knife through butter. Man. No, that excellent, cut excellent. Great. So that, it, it had a happy ending, but I'm like, wow, this is a, a, a new experience I've never had. I better share this on Tool Talk, because who knows, you know, somebody else may have that. Well, and, you know. well as, a, as a budding woodworker, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for anybody out there who's looking at something going, you know, I think I could probably build that. Yeah. That is where you really catch. That's where you really catch these nuances between, oh, that's the difference between this blade and that blade. Right. right. And, and, and to keep in mind, too, when you're working with tools, there's always these weird, you know, because it, it you it may not occur to you that a saw, a, especially a circular saw blade can bend. Well, it can. They can. Things can happen. Weirdness can happen. So just uh, don't panic. Maybe you just need a new saw blade. So I, I just wanted to to throw that out there. So, well, Alan, actually, we did get a text, but we, we oh, felt we this did. was worthy of uh, going up number two. So uh, let's hear about this. Foul, cruel, and bad temper rodent you ever set eyes on. I just wanted a hug. Oh, rats in the kitchen. Just like that delightful movie I taped in the theater. Did I say number two, Alan? I guess there's... A, but you you got a text literally as we were going... About five minutes before we went on the air. Just as we were sitting and here, we're like, well, this know, has getting to be comfortable. So, all right. So. The text reads as follows. 2 a.m., period. The trap went off at 2 a.m., period. <laughs> I haven't been out to check on the size yet, period. I'll never forget that sound. Is there an exclamation point at the end? No, there's the big green yucky face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, folks, that's the kind of text we like. Very emotional. I'm surprised there was no, uh, you know, I would have stuck an exclamation point in there somewhere. I think the big green yucky face said it all. Okay. So. That's so that I will never forget the sound of that trap at two in the morning. Mm. So this person is dealing. Sounds with like a Vietnam vet and everything. No. I'll never forget <laughs> the sound, man. So Alan, what are we talking about here? Because this um, sounds like a little inside baseball. This is something. Some, this is a friend of yours, right? Well, uh, this is a uh, a very lovely local actress okay. who called me yesterday and said something got into her house and honestly ate the flower arrangement off her dining room table. <laughs> All right, that's not really funny. But. And she's absolutely <laughs> horrified. And and Joe, I knew you would empathize with her immediately, having dealt with you know squirrel condos for years. We never had this out. Our squirrels they never got, got in, in the, the walls, but they never they made, never got they never in the house. The right. Yeah. So holy, this cow. actually got in the house. So bless her heart. I went by last night, and we set up as she put it. It's no longer Mr. Nice Guy time. Playtime's over. Playtime's over, folks. Yeah. She bought the thingies that make the noise. She did the things that are supposed to get critters to leave your house. They haven't. They've invaded. They ate the flower arrangement. It's war. So it's they. 
It's that. Oh, it's definitely they. What are we um, talking here? We are talking about the Norwegian brown rat. Oh gosh. We okay. are talking. Uh, these are these guys are uh, very prolific here in the mid south. Uh, they're actually all around the world. So for everybody listening, um, this is valid advice no matter where you live. Of uh, these guys are very opportunistic. They're intelligent, and if you think a squirrel can find a way into your house. These guys make squirrels look like amateurs. What What did you say the rule of thumb it's, is, Alan? It's go ahead. it's the Navy versus the Navy SEALs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it is. It is, man. Didn't you say there's some... Uh, what's the guideline as far as All how right. big of an if opening your Navy? Thumb, if yeah. your thumb will go through that hole, a whole big old one-pound rat can get through that Isn't hole. Isn't that something? Because you if, look at them, you're like, there's no way they'd squeeze through something Their skeleton like that. is so agile and so slender down the middle of it if the head and the jaws fit through, yeah. the rest of it can be wiggled through the hole. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, these guys, are they're smart, they're intelligent, and this time of year, a lot of people let their dogs out and leave them out because it's fantastic. The dogs are having a great time. Well, they love this weather. Yeah. The weather's fabulous. You know, if you ran around wearing a big fur coat all the time, you'd be digging this weather, too. Sure. But then people put the food out. Yeah. And they leave the food out. And that begins the possums, the raccoons, and if you're really unlucky, the brown rats. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so you're saying the food was left outside. Is Which that... brings them to oh, your home. Yeah, that is a bad... And Haven't now, we preached on that, the, Alan? Now, I mean... bless her heart, she has no pets, but she has neighbors with pets. So what so are they she, bothering her for? She has the quiet house. Okay. <laughs> where there's nothing to bother them. She's probably out a lot during there's, the daytime. There's no She's, cat uh, in the house. Okay. You know, there's nothing to deter them from exploring. And they have obviously found a way in. And now they have found a way into the house itself. And of as of this morning's report, I have a wonderful picture of her done up in battle garb. <laughs> <laughs> to, as to, well she should. To That's go right. remove last night's, um, how should we say opening salvo in the rat removal process all right i hate to ask but is this a is this a uh catch and release trap or is this the clamp and it's over well trap, if you a... bend the bars back it'll release the body <laughs> <laughs> as i okay. told her we were bringing a bag of alan glee and happiness to her house last night okay well, which means i'm sorry the rat checks in the rat don't check out oh my gosh okay so, but alan this is a serious so where we it, you know, because we're always trying can, to give solutions. Yeah, where? But, well, this can happen at anyone's house, anywhere, anytime. So you're sitting there in your, your very tidy neighborhood looking around at your house going, it could never happen here. Oh, yes, it can. Yeah, because it's not about, oh, gosh, you know, you always associate it with, oh, well, they, they keep a messy house. Trash or and debris and it's that not kind of stuff. That. It yeah. makes me think of those old PSAs. It could happen to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is more about. How well sealed up is your house? How well sealed up is your house? And, you know, and what are the baits in the area? And it's not necessarily your house. Right. But it's the, you know, the surrounding area about you. They're, you know, and they're ubiquitous. I mean, this thing, they're literally everywhere in this county. 
Well, they they multiply, don't they? I they mean, oh, they, so. they yeah, they you know the expression breeds like bunnies. They right. got that from rats. Trust me. But 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 what what's interesting here though is uh, so your neighbor, in other words, maybe the neighbor leaves the the dog food bowl out, and they just they they have a nice meal. Then they want to go relax. Now somewhere. they're looking for a place to take a nap. <laughs> And your nice, quiet house with the nice shrubberies and the beautiful downspouts make the perfect place. So, um, actually, I had a friend several weeks ago come running up to me absolutely horrified and showed me that they had just bought one of those uh, I See Everything uh, doorbe doorbells. Oh, yeah, those are cool. You know, there's several different brands, but right. they had installed one, and it went off about 2, 3 in the morning. Oh, and yeah. You know, they thought, who's at the, you know, somebody's at the front door. Who, you know, the next day when they reviewed the footage, what they got was a lovely view of the underside of a rat <laughs> crawling up the top of the ring going upstairs. And she was, she was just horrified. Like, why was a rat climbing my house? Sure. And I said, well, what you got in the attic? Well, uh, we, we, we put yep. all of our holiday decorations up there. And I said, mm -hmm. great. You got Halloween decorations up there? Oh, yeah. We got our corn stalks and our... And I went... I remember. Bingo. Boom. Yeah. Bingo. You had corn stalks. Right. Because she's... Well, the next day she reported, oh, they had a party. Yeah. Our, our, we had oh, the yeah. same thing. And I've so, told the story many times. But we our, our garage had a little gap that I wasn't mm -hmm. aware of until later. Because after Halloween, we had those hay bales. Oh, yeah. Or no, before Halloween, we had them ready to go. And... Uh, Man, I wouldn't have thought a rat has any interest in hay, but that's oh, like a did. buffet for them. Oh, yeah, they did. They got in, they made a mess, and then we got rid of the hay, and we closed up the gap. But, man, um, it, this sounds like a real problem. So she, what's your friend going to do? I mean, I hope she gets her. You're going to have to go around the outside and check the yes. soffits, check. Yeah, there will be a thorough inspection of the house later. But It's really frustrating because that they can climb. They, they can, can burrow. Climb, they can, oh, they can get in through... The darndest places, especially if you've recently had any work done on the house mm -hmm. where maybe plumbing had to be rerun or something had to be changed or uh, landscaping. Maybe they dug something up out of the yard. Anything that could have created a gap where there wasn't one before. Uh, now, squirrels are also rats' best friends because squirrels can gnaw through anything. Are they, do they ever team up or do they get into a turf war? If well, they kind of politely ignore each other. Okay. But the squirrels are the ones that can chew through the back of the soffit and gnaw their way through a gutter. <laughs> and once that, once that hole has been made. So, so okay. if we're using like um, a battle comparison, it makes me think of like the soldiers that went in through D-Day. They blew up the barbed wire. Those are the squirrels. And then you have the um, uh, invading force behind oh, them. Yeah. See, that's Easily. What, I, I was thinking of uh, of the refrigerator, William Perry, that would blow yeah. through the through the defensive line, and then Walter Payton would run in behind yeah, him run, and get a touchdown. Absolutely. have a big wide open, <laughs> wide open field right there. Okay. Well, are there any um, – is there one last thing about this? Because you told us with squirrels, one of the, one of the telltale signs are these uh, – I hate to say it, kind of these greasy, oily trails that they leave up the, like right. up a wall, and you're okay. That's an entrance. Do, 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 do rats leave the, that kind of right. evidence? They're frightening. They're either cleaner, so you really have to look for it. The biggest thing you're going to get with them is you're going to hear them. You're going to hear those little nails scratching on things. Oh, right. Yeah. So it may sound a little bit like a tree branch scratching on the side of the house. Uh huh. 
uh, but it's going to be going across the attic. Now, squirrels thump and bump, and raccoons just knock stuff around. Yeah. Rats are quiet, but you'll hear a little scratching sounds and stuff like that, and that is an absolute guarantee somebody is uh, decided you look like a comfortable place to visit. <laughs> and so, folks, if you ever have, I, I can tell you this from personal experience, if you ever walk in the house or there's a room in particular or there's right by the front door, you smell just mm. a smell that's off, that, that does little, not belong there. Yeah. It's a faintly kind of unpleasant smell. Don't ignore that. Unpleasantly sweet. Don't just get the Febreze and hope for the yep. best. Go, no. go, go look. Get proactive or you might wind up like Alan's friend here whether, where they've breached and they're in the house. We don't we don't want that. So, wow. I, I hope she'll keep us posted on this. Oh, she, this is going to be an ongoing saga. Has she sent I a promise. picture of the carcass yet? Uh, no, well, we're not getting a picture of the carcass, but the picture of her with the gloves, the mask, and the big parka on are priceless. Okay. Awesome. Well... <laughs> We hope your experience listening to Tool Talk Radio was priceless. I mean, it's free. What do we care? Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Alan, this is going to be interesting. We're going to talk about the McBasement. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. This is glue. Strong stuff. News Talk 98.9. The roar of Memphis. See, that's what your friend needed. Some glue. Oh, Strong gosh. stuff. The rat would have never breached the house They had those... They have those really weird rat traps or whatever, bug traps, where it's like just really sticky stuff. Yeah. Strong yeah. stuff. I really don't like those. Those are harsh. Those yeah. are mean. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And, of course, we invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and check out the action over there, including the must-have item of the week, which I've already posted, and a link um, to a video that's got uh, information about our great moments in building history, which we're going to get to in mm -hmm. the next hour, the the very bizarre Denver International Airport. So, um, but uh, we were, you know, before the break, if you're just tuning in, we, we, we had a text. Alan got it. it, it this is in real time. You know, this yes. show unfolds as we, as we go. You got a text about a friend of yours dealing with a rat situation. Yes. And uh, Max, didn't you say somebody else uh, wanted to chime in on that? So. Yeah, we did indeed. They have, um, uh, we have Keith and he sent in pictures of the different types of rats that exist out there from the roof rats, <laughs> Norway rats, the young rat to house mouse. Gee, okay. Mm -hmm. And they're all here in Memphis right now. Oh, Alan? yes. Oh, yes. Hey, thanks, Keith, for, for showing us that. You know, it's funny what triggers people. Yeah, uh, you know, look at that and go, oh, look, there's the Norwegian. We know him very well. Yes. Okay. Um, Max, off the air, though, you said you had a sort of an infamous story from your high school. Let's not name the high school, but something happened that was, I mean, as long as we're in Critter Wars. It's a horror story, and it's the thing of legend. <laughs> oh, good. So, in our in one of our classrooms and everything, there was this terrible smell and everything. You know, like those old mm. ACs that like that they're sort of like a prism that are like against the wall. Yes, mm -hmm. they. I think there was like a I think a rat died in there. But not only that, <laughs> but there was one a girl was sitting at her desk, and then all of a sudden, just out of random, a dead rat file fell on her desk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, wow, surprise, wow, surprise. wow, that'll wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a few years of therapy for that goes away. This is yeah. a true story, Max. This isn't some urban legend that the kids cooked up. or It might be a thing of legend, but who cares? Okay. I mean, 
right through the ceiling tile, I guess, huh? Oh, oh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, stranger I guess, things have happened. Okay, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna you know examine this, I could see that the decaying rat probably gives off a certain amount of uh, fluids, is, right? Yeah, which soften the ceiling mm, tile, which down make on it, it came through. And yep, boom. Okay. Well, whoever she is, I hope she had a good lawyer. Oh, probably, boy. Yeah, there's there's some therapy involved in that. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Alan, in a minute, we're going to get to your really interesting story about the McBasement, which right. uh, um, sound, sounds intriguing. Before we get to that, let's talk about our good buddy, uh, Larry Brown from Brown Refrigeration, who is, uh, you know, I'm sure he's busy. It's uh, it's that transitional it's time Man, of the year. It's furnace season. And this is literally, we're, we're here, down here in the Mid-South, we are... At that time of year where you might use the heater and the air conditioner the same day. I believe the uh, high today is going to be 80 degrees, but this morning I had to have a like a flannel shirt on, Alan. It was a little chilly. So. Yeah, I noticed you were layered up today. Yeah, that's the way you got to be here uh, in the Mid-South. Well, layers are a good idea anyway, mm -hmm. not to segue. But um, whenever you have any HVAC needs um, Larry and uh, clean air needs. Oh, yes. Your buddy could use some clean air. Uh, oh, right work. now she would just, yeah. And one other thing we don't sell often enough is the cleaning your duct works. Really, you just, the entire system from the inside out, it's it's the lungs of your home, as we say. It's um, it's conditioning the air. It's cleaning the air. If you get involved with the Remy Halo system, which they offer, which is actually very reasonably priced. Yes. We don't usually mention that either, Alan. We're, you know, but the Remy Halo system, which is gives off the UV power of the sun, um, means that all of the air coming out of your air ducts, uh, air ducts is not only clean, but it's cleaning every surface that it hits. It, it gives off these indeed. microscopic cleaning particulates. It's really just a no-brainer. If you're if you're upgrading your system, just get this. You know, it's 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 such revolutionary technology. Your breathing will thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Because like we say, I mean, it's not it's it's important not only to eat eat well and drink well, but you got to breathe well. So Indeed. especially here in the Mid-South with with all the pollen and everything we deal with, and we it still it helps combat uh, COVID and everything else. Um, also, you can control it from your uh, smart home system. You know, the, it, you can control it from your, uh, from your phone, which is great. The smart home technology mm -hmm. that they incorporate with that. And they just have a great business culture at Brown Refrigeration. They answer their phones. They've been around forever. They stand behind their work. They're good. they're rock solid, and Larry Brown is just a, a, a great guy, and you're going to be very happy to do business with them. So get in touch with them. Uh, you can call them directly at 901-362-1881 or go to their website, brownref.com. All right, Alan, uh, you, you, I, I got to admit, I never heard this term before, but you talked about the McBasement. I did. I, I hope did. this isn't another one of your head fakes. This isn't like uh, the IKEA discussion that's going to whatever. No, but, no. Now this one sounded like I'm going to look directly at you and say you've been in one. Oh yes, you've okay. been in one. You've been in one that might have even been baseball themed. Well, could you say something? Okay, I'm just curious though. Mick Basement isn't that uh, similar to like we've heard of the Mick Mansion, exactly. which to me is a generic kind of. Uh, nondescript mansion, isn't that it? So this well, doesn't sound like what I, uh, for, for folks that don't know, uh, if you go to Netflix or if you just Google something, Google Club 400, which is the ultimate Cubs man cave, which uh, is owned by my friend Stuart McVicker over in, uh, down in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's like the ultimate Cubs, you know, fan basement, but it's, it's been, it, you know, this basement, I think, is insured for like half a million dollars. It's full of collectibles. It's a replica in many areas of Wrigley Field. But this is different, what you're saying. This well, is 
this is something else. Well, you know, of course, you know, we, we've heard the phrase McMansions, yeah. where a lot of people have moved from tight urban areas to more suburban areas and have built large luxury homes. Is, is it the same concept, too? Because one thing here in East Memphis we see a lot of is they might tear down. Uh, it, maybe it's a really great neighborhood. They tear down a little three-bedroom house and they build like now like a 6,000-square-foot house. Exactly. That's what a McMansion it, that, is. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. And because there are limits, because there's a lot of zoning laws and that kind of stuff, there are a lot of places, especially in a lot of very high-value real estate areas. Right. There's only so much you can do. You can't spread out very far. You yeah. can't spread out this far. You can't build above a certain height. Oh, good point. Because you think about, well, we have the bluffs of Memphis. Mm -hmm. So here you bought a beautiful house on the bluff, and the guy below you builds an eight-story mansion. <laughs> and yeah, now that's you're not looking work. in the back right. of his bathroom. Right, So right. you wanted to see the river, and now you... So there are limits to what you can build and where you can build it. Okay. But one, a lot of these jurisdictions didn't really think about down. So a lot okay, of these people... Okay, because if you go build downwards... <clears throat> You're not interfering with anybody. Well, now I'm not worried about upstairs. So if I really got to have that wet bar, swimming pool, and bowling alley, <laughs> we can start hauling some dirt. And of, uh, I, I like a lot of the articles I looked up on this before I brought you the story. And it's these, as they put, the scourge of suburbia. Because oh. a lot of these houses... In some places, because they don't have any limitation what you can do below the surface of your property, some of them got more house underground than they got above ground. So you might have a, a, a nice-looking, average-looking uh, two-story home, but you got... They may have you got the command center. They may have there. four or five thousand feet above ground. Wow! But below ground, they may have one of them. I looked at was three stories deep. <laughs> Took over six hundred truckloads of dirt out of the out of the ground to make this thing, and includes a bowling alley. Okay, where was this? Uh, this was in California. Yeah, of course. And, and they're like, okay, wait you a guys minute, are going now, crazy. California, because that you know you're dealing with fault lines, earthquakes. Uh, well. I, I guess if there's a fire, you're safe because well, you just go under. You but, just get really blow, wow. below ground. Um, and these are happening. Honestly, around the world, uh, from London to L.A., so this is this is a big thing. And the one thing that was cracking me up while I was while I was reading these articles, if you've ever seen any of the shows about opal hunters <laughs> out in the in the Australian outback, what's an opal hunter? Uh, opals, the the precious stones. Oh, op I thought it was an opals. animal you were talking. No, about. No, no, opals. Well, I know what and an opal the people is. that are they're mining opals, right? Of the area of Australia they live in is so desolate and so terrible, you don't want to live above ground. No. So their entire dwellings are below ground. Well, they we just saw how Luke Skywalker out. lived. I mean, you know. Uh, exactly. Welcome to Tatooine. Right. So I, I just found this article fascinating in the fact that people are buying these properties, and one of the big things they're they're asking for is, like, geological surveys. Yeah, no kidding. As to how far down we can go. Well, How big can I make the basement? How What kind of access can I put in? Because you get into, we, we've, we've tackled this before, because you got a lot of water issues, a lot of soil exactly. motion issues. You've got a lot of air issues, because you got to get air down there. Right. 
So your your upstairs house is basically becoming your command ship. Yeah, this is where. So I because I had mo, mo, uh, the idea sounds interesting until I you know you start getting into the okay how do you build it what is this thing going to look like in twenty years what do you what is the foundation mm. so can it be turned into a Mick Fallout shelter yeah <laughs> no kidding so but but that was my question and what is it like to be spending the majority of your time underground where you're not looking out any windows and what does that do to your psychology and is this going to turn into like the future of mole people or like that ooh the terrible thing with um uh, hg wells like the time machine where right. all the humans became either pale or i forget what the other they lived type underground was. or else they lived on the ground and were basically food for the uh yeah so you know either like way was bad but but alan there's there's a lot of dynamic it's not just a simple matter of okay moving underground that i don't know what the, the immediate challenge to me is, okay, what do you make the walls and the foundation out of? There's got to be sub pumps. There's got to be – what is going on three stories underground? I mean, that's, that's quite a ways to dig I, down. I, that's uh, – well – Depending you know, on what part of the country you live in, too. It, well, right? exactly. Welcome to the – what the zoning districts are now trying to figure out is that, you know, well, Bob moved into this, again, five or 6,000-square-foot house – and, um, you know, is the house now 14,000 square feet because he's got a full luxury gym and a 12-person hot tub downstairs? Right. Another concern that I have is that fact that, like, let's just say Bob's house was originally meant for having, like, a foundation for just the house and nothing below it. But all of a sudden, you're disrupting the foundation. Like, what is that going to do to the rest of the house above it? Because you're putting something below it that wasn't meant to be there in the first place. Yeah. Well, you know, I you're talking a about a lot of architecture. Well, I mean, think about it. Let's pick on like Nantucket. Okay. That's that's a very world famous island. Sure. Right there. Well, it's only 14 miles long. There's only so much stuff that will ever fit on the island of Nantucket. Right. And they actually got really sneaky early on and said the footprint of your housing can only be 2% of your property. Wow. 2%. So you're very so you cannot wow. you cannot build big lavish things. I didn't know that. So That's interesting. Guess what? Everybody went underground. Uh, ah, one of the man. homes I looked at is uh, has a six thousand square foot bunker featuring a three D golf simula simulator and a full spa. Here, here's my question, Alan. Okay, so going back to my friend uh, Stu McVicker, who owns right. Club 400. Well, the, the the thing I left out of that, it, it it is a basement. However, his house is on a hill. So the backside of the basement actually has a sliding door that goes out to his backyard. There's windows. There are things. It, half of it's, you know, subterranean. The other half, you can... You can see daylight. So it's not quite the same experience as this. So I, I feel like there's a difference here when you're dealing you, with, I, I keep going back to airflow, moisture. Right. The way that, I, I don't know, man. I, I think but there, this is, this is, this is reminding me a lot of the houses that were built in the 70s once press board was invented, press board siding. And they're like, <laughs> hey, this stuff's cheap. We can cut our building costs. And then 20 years later, you're dealing with the fallout of, you know, uh, of we're replacing all these siding and, right. and, you know, crit critters getting in. So I don't know this. I'm not necessarily a gung ho about this idea. Well, there are a number of architectural firms out there now featuring entire divisions devoted to your lavish basement. 
So, okay, go ahead. So I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot of research into this. There's a lot of architecture being designed into this to make sure that your luxury villa of underground and above ground are going to be solid, I guess. Uh, but just looking at the list of some of the things that these people are building into them of one, a couple of them, have, well, almost all of them have some kind of bar. Sure. Uh, no kidding. A lot of them have pools or hot tubs. Um, a few of them even went underground and built climbing walls. Okay. I mean, I, I, that's crazy. And my, so it's recreational space. So. Uh, my my favorite one is of uh, is a couple of a couple of uh, investors built whiskey tasting tasting rooms, which I thought was hilarious. Now, here's the big thing: you're underground. You have no natural light. Right. So a lot of what they're doing, believe it or not, they're putting in kind of like a central grand staircase open to the natural light above, and they're even putting in skylights cut through the soil going to the ground above. You need something. But, but Alan, what happens when the power goes out? What about what happens if you have no power for two weeks because of an ice storm uh, and you got a swimming pool down there getting funky? And I would say add some goldfish. I don't uh, like. I, uh, I'm. I'm sorry. I don't think. Here's the other thing I'm going to think about. Gosh, I'm really getting preachy here. But okay, <laughs> Alan, if you've got a, if you've got the, okay, you've got concrete or you've got whatever the whatever forms the walls on this right. space. Well, you're going to also need a moisture barrier outside of that concrete, and it's going to have to be made of a material that can withstand decades and decades and maybe even mm -hmm. centuries of resisting uh rotting underground well that means that is probably not very good for the environment that uh a material that is that resilient to decay what about when you when you demolish this thing and you got to get rid of that I don't, I don't know man well aspen colorado of for fear of upsetting the topography of the area yeah have now limited basements to only one level okay so you had to have a, a law idea. to yeah. where you had to limit people to one story underground. Right. This also kind of makes me think about like, you know, like if you want to demolish it, how about people that want to like move their house? Because we've talked about in previous an episode about how people like to move their house. And a kind of quote that I have for like not making these overly like niche, like extreme these structures and everything is you pigeonhole the possibilities for future construction around it. Yeah. I don't know, Max. It sounds to me like when you pull the top off of a muffin, you get the, you get the good part, <laughs> the rest of it staying put. So it's like, but uh, I don't know. I, I'd yeah, love to hear what uh, our listeners have to say about this. This. Is, you know? this is just kind of a really wild trend that suddenly going underground is is a hot building trend in the I, last couple of years i suspect there's going to be psychological studies of what happens with it i mean honestly that there's I'm, something about honest, when you're when you have i'm no talking right on gas here i mean because the further underground you get right um i'll pick on our poor listeners in the nashville area you know if you've got a below ground aspect to your home you certainly need a radon detector because that is a natural gas produced by the planet right that will seep into underground structures and it's not real good for you. No, I could. I mean, I see. I see the. You know, if you have the best of both worlds, maybe you have a basement, and it. It sometimes they're useful because uh, they. Well, for one thing, if you live in the north, you always have a basement because that's where your hot water tank and everything, so right. they don't freeze and they're not exposed. But um, 
I don't know, man. It, as usual, everybody gets carried away and takes things too far. Oh, I, I'm looking at this. One guy actually has a 7,000-square-foot house above ground and put in another twelve grand in space below. So he has 12,000 square feet under his house. I don't know. It's man. just amazing. So I, I saw this, and then Joe, and I was like, you know, you and I work on stuff all the time under some crazy conditions. Right. We've crawled under houses. We've crawled through attics. We've been on roofs. I got to admit, I've never worked three stories underground. No, I don't. I don't even know what that experience is like. I wonder at some point, do your ears start popping? Do you, you know? <laughs> I I just wonder if there's different pressures and stuff, you know, going on under there. So I don't know. This will be. This is going to be an interesting one too. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have to follow up on this one to kind of see how these structures are holding up, and um, I'm really gonna be curious to see how they actually design and build one of these, especially if they're retroing it under an existing home. Oh, that's even more fun. So, yeah, I don't know. It's like the ultimate uh, bunker, you know. So. Well, you know, if you're building a new home and you're just going to start with a huge dirt pit and yeah. start from the bottom and work your way up, that's like building a skyscraper. Right. That's kind of common technology. But if you bought a house that maybe had a small basement and you suddenly go, you know, what I really want is a pool table over here. Yeah. Uh, that is moving a lot of dirt through your house. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, hey, Alan, we'll we'll definitely be following this trend with uh, great interest. But it's let's real quick. Let's segue because um, it's been a dry summer. It's been a dry Ooh, yes, early fall. We finally got some um, rain oh, over here gosh. in the mid south. But it was the, it wasn't the kind of rain we wanted. It was like <laughs> torrential rain. Then it was sunny an hour later. Yeah. Then it was you know. So we want that slow, steady rain. But you know, if you've been ignoring your trees, mm. that you may pay the price soon. So so what can we do? And I guess. You know, because like you say, uh, if trees dry out, then you suddenly saturate them. Limbs can fall. But what are some telltale signs as well to, to see if your trees are healthy or if they're in trouble? Well, all right. Well, one, you can always give a tree a knock the, a knock test. What's that? If you've got older trees, especially oak trees, and you've got a rubber mallet, most mm. big rubber mallets. Yeah. Walk out there and give that baby a whack. And if it sounds hollow... There's not as much tree there as you think there is. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming it's not hollow, but what if it's what if it's well, I mean, problematic? If it's, like, well, if it's a big solid tree, it's just gonna thump. But if you get that bang of a rubber mallet's really the perfect tool for that. Yeah, you don't want to go out there big old sledgehammer and put a big dent in your tree. Right. You want something that's gonna make some noise, but you don't want to harm anything. Of another big thing that you look for is the roots. Okay. Of how exposed are they? Uh, is your yard? Because we've seen roots where they're crawling across the lawn uh, and they're up. Yeah. That's not good, right? Well, did the lawn retreat? Has your lawn been, you know, has has the soil been basically blown away? Right. Are you exposing roots? Is your, is your yard sinking and your tree rising? Because now there's less to hold that tree in place. Um, yeah, the roots are important. So, uh, yeah. Where? What where, about the people that pile mulch all around the edges of their tree, like uh, and create a tree volcano? Yeah, the that. tree volcano. Not the best of ideas because now you got roots growing up into that. Right. Of, but you're not necessarily, you know, properly done. the The tree volcano should look like a tree moat. 
Right. Okay. It should round the go around the tree, but give you a spot so that water can get down through the top of it. Okay. So, well, it, it, I guess the big thing is, you know, if you weren't watering your tree this summer. Then the leaves already started dropping fast. Yeah, because I'm already when, seeing some leaves falling. Well, I, I mean, not today, but like three or four weeks ago, was your tree already starting to drop its leaves? Right. And in which case, that was because your tree is going, I don't have enough water so I got to drop the leaves to conserve myself. Yeah. And that's a big giveaway that your tree is a little too dry. Okay. Yeah. Stay on top of that, folks. That's that's critical, especially as we get into the winter here. So, well, I, Alan, hour one of Tool Talk Radio is in the can, but hour two is coming up. And, uh, boy, are we going to kick it off in style? Oh, boy. We're going to talk all about the world's weirdest airport, the Denver International Airport. News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. And welcome to Hour 2 of Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And uh, we also invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook. That's the fa- that's the name of the page. That's why mm-hmm. I say that, Alan, mm-hmm. so just for clarification. And uh, check out the action over there. Uh, we have the must-have item of the week, which we're actually going to pivot, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But we also have a, a video, one of literally thousands of other videos that you can find <laughs> Uh, about the uh, Denver International Airport, which we're going to be discussing Mm. momentarily in our great moments in building history. And there's a lot of ways to approach that conversation, and we're going to try to to approach them all. So, But, Alan, just to to take care of this, because this is not a very complicated must-have item of the week. But let's uh, let's show people what I'm holding up. It is critical. It's a mission critical oh, item. Oh, it is sometimes, so critical so. on occasion. That is the portable cellophane tape dispenser. Is that what it's called? That's a cellophane tape, aka your clear self adhesive pressure sensitive tape that you constantly need everywhere. And if you don't like using all the fancy words that Alan does, it's just packing tape. It's, it's that packing clear tape. tape. I don't know what it's made of, but it's cellophane. The, well, whatever it is, it is strong. <laughs> you could have a box that's holding, you know, your 500-pound whatever, and it's wrapped in this tape, and it will hold up, man. It's... Now, i give you a secret to get that tape off. Okay. Hair dryer. Um, okay. Well, it's funny you mention that, Alan, because I was curious about that. What do you mean to get it off? Like, because I, I was going to say, the one thing about this tape, don't leave it in the sun. Don't put something and tape it and then put it, you know, in the sun and expect you're going to get this thing off. Even two hours later, the, right, the right. sun is going to bake it on. It's going to dry it out. It and melts never a little comes bit. Off. It adheres very strongly. But yeah, you can. Uh, sometimes people are trying to finagle getting the cellophane off of something. Right. Like somebody left it on. Get your hair blower, soften it up, and peel it off. Okay, that's interesting, Al, because my go-to for any type of gluey residue is usually rubbing alcohol or some sort of solvent, and well, you're saying... and if there's something sticky left, you, uh, you can use that. Okay. Hey, shout out to the Motor Mouth. Some uh, Bud from the Motor Mouths, he recommended on one of his Motor Mouth Minutes, if you want to remove decals, you actually use a hair dryer, so oh, to your point. Oh, okay, so that is good. I didn't think of that. I guess there's a, a fine line between a hair dryer 
and a heat gun. <laughs> Don't use a heat gun for those. Yeah, those the, the, like the, you can cook a pizza yeah, with those the fine things, line so, yeah. is five hundred degrees, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for my money, packing tape is just oh. as durable as like duct tape. And well, it, you know, there's the one thing. You know, it's, it's like a, a constant battle mm -hmm. everywhere, especially in my commercial environment. Right. You hear the words. Does anybody have a piece of tape? Oh, about yeah. four times a day. Sure. Yep. Rocket yeah. the raccoon is not the only one looking for a piece of tape. Now, the only downside with this, I will say, and you got to keep your the little cutter. I've got that round cutter thing mm -hmm. on it. Uh, you just got to, when you're done using it, you got to fold the the little bit of the, fold the, the lip over of mm -hmm. the edge. Because, man, when you try to unroll that thing, oh. for one thing, you can't even see the seam. Right. You can't even see it. And then it has this tendency to tear <clears throat> and unroll in an unpleasant way. So, you know, but, hey, it's great stuff and it's cheap. And when you need it, you need it. it, it when you got to have it, you got to. And the one thing you can do with that, you can create an instant handle. Uh, one of my favorite tricks in the world with cellophane tape. Okay. Uh, so, like, you've got a, a box to carry, and or you've got a couple of boxes to carry. What, you, what I love to do with that is wrap it around it a few times and <laughs> then come over the top and put it over my hand and wrap a few times so that you've got a raised area of tape, and then you just crumple the sticky together, and it will make an instant handle. I thought and I saw. And you can tote. You, man, I have toted so much stuff like that. Wasn't there a science fiction movie where the guy taped the guns to his hand because he didn't want to drop them in battle yep. or something yep, like that? exactly okay. correct. Same, same yeah. idea. All right. So I, I will freely say that is an amazing tape and a good choice today. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, Alan, momentarily, we're going to get to our big uh, showcase, uh, you know, great moments <laughs> in building history. Before we do that, though, uh, it, would, uh, it would be a dereliction of duty if we didn't uh, point people in the direction of Jay Hill from... Uh, Big M roofing and remodeling. Oh, goodness, Boy, yes. you know, especially, and I have to believe, every time we get one of these torrential rains, somebody new is is calling Jay because, let's face it, man, that's when, those are the kind of rains where, yeah, maybe you've got a problem that doesn't reveal itself all the time, mm. but suddenly when you get that kind of rain, boom, you got the leak. I, I have to say this week I said a few, th a few quiet thank yous to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you and I are both sitting under his roofs. Oh yeah, we both have we've both we're you know we we both have done business with Jay and we both benefited from his expertise. But uh, the you know so Jay Hill, if you're new to Big M Roofing and Remodeling, five stars with the Better Business Bureau uh, and good housekeeping. He's a GAF Master Elite Installer, and GAF is uh, that's the company you want to get involved with. They're yes. at the cutting edge of roofing technology. They install roofing systems. It's not just a matter mm -hmm. of uh, you know nailing a few shingles up there and hoping for the best. These are these are well thought out, very ergonomic and very um, long meant to be long lasting. These roofs, if you have a GAF. Um, roofing system installed they come with a lifetime transferable warranty yes they do which i wonder when they're going to come to their senses and change that that's yeah. nuts i mean <laughs> you can awesome though it's a great thing it's a great feature and it's especially useful if you're selling your home you know for one thing it's great to have a a, a lifetime warranty mm -hmm. but also if you can uh use the you know you can tell the new owner hey this this is under warranty and it's under your name. So, and also Jay loves his, uh, you know, r roofing and remodeling tie together because sometimes, um, sometimes a roofing problem creates a, a remodeling necessity. Yeah. So, but uh, they do it all. They do great work. And uh, also 
Jay's, uh, you know, one of his key uh, areas of expertise is that he's a former insurance agent and he's just always, he's very well versed in everything that goes on with uh, homeowner's insurance because if you have an issue with water getting in your home or if you have an issue with, um, with your roof, it may be covered by your homeowner's insurance, and that is not an easy process to navigate. You really need no. an advocate. Jay is more or less your your advocate and your roofing expert at the same time, and uh, we've both benefited. Like I said, Alan, you and I both got our roofs, you know, we do replaced with a small deductible, which was great. So, uh, if you and all of this uh, expertise is free, you can have Jay come over and give you a free consultation and have him check out your roof. So there's really no reason to call. You can get in touch with uh, Jay directly at 901-484-5645 or go to BigMRoofingAndRemodeling.com. All right, Max, I've been looking forward to this one. And now, great moments in building history. Even more mysterious than the Denver airport, Alan, is uh, who is that voice? Where one day... Can't imagine. One day, yeah. the truth will be... You remember when Kiss took their makeup off and we suddenly saw... you know, what And they went, really, oh, put it back on. Yeah. Sure, yeah. some freak. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going to happen when we discover who did that voice there. But uh, this is good. So we're doing this in honor of Halloween. You know, this mm. is your favorite time of the year, Alan. It so is. let's pick something a little, a little weird and a little, you know... So let me lay out the bullet points, if you don't mind. So we're talking about the Denver International Airport. And if you don't know anything about this, folks, you're like, why would an airport qualify as creepy or, you know, bizarre? Well, folks, just jump on YouTube and in five <laughs> minutes, you're going to find out why. So this airport opened in 1995. I'm kind of kicking myself, Alan, because I spent a week in Denver in 1993. So I missed my chance to see this by, by two years. But anyway... It was built to replace the Stapleton Airport, which was uh, back in the day when it was built, I want to say like in the 1930s, Denver was not what it was. I mean, it was a much smaller city. The skyscrapers weren't there. And suddenly the city started to encroach on the airport, which also, it, it, it also means that people living in there don't want to hear airplanes taking right. off at two in the morning. So they needed something. So they came, they built this, the uh, they built a new airport 25 miles away from the city on a huge piece of land. It's actually yes. twice, the airport as it stands now is twice the size of the island of Manhattan, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And they have more land if they need it. So, yes. and it's one of the busiest airports in the country. However, it went $2 billion over budget. Put a pin in that, Max, because that's going to be an important, uh, that's going to tie in with part of the uh, the conspiracy. It was 16 months behind schedule. It did, it wanted to do something unique. It wanted to have the world's first fully automated robotic baggage system like yep that was one of the things they were they were you know hailing and that's what they were promoting um it's got lots of it had a whole underground network of tunnels because it um to you know keep it out of the snow and the rain and everything and also one of the things the features of the airport they wanted is they wanted the design to reflect the spirit of the west and they also wanted it to be a very a, a big celebration of of many types of artists in a variety of mediums. And they gave artistic a, a lot of artistic license to the artists involved in this. So that's, that's the overview. I just given yeah. you the overview. Yeah. And now, Alan, let's let's look closely at these uh, different oh. features because it it all plays out in a very unique way. So. Okay. The airport built by the Illuminati. Well, yes. there you go. So so <laughs> one of the things, <laughs> it's it's over budget. Okay, now, in fairness, they were trying to do some revolutionary things. One of the things that really threw them off was this 
this robotic baggage system. Right. Okay, they wanted it fully automated. I'm saying robots because that sounds more fun. But they basically wanted it where it didn't require very much human interaction. It Correct. Was, it, would, it would make it faster. And they literally had a system where they were throwing the bags into the plane. And there's some great footage of, like, exploding luggage oh, and yeah, was, <laughs> missiles of <laughs> going wrong. Well, so, all right, you know. this is 1995. Right. And... All right, to somebody like me, 1995 was like 25 minutes ago. Right. In reality, that was 25 years ago in technology. We weren't carrying cell phones back. I wasn't. Yeah, I well, mean, you know. it's, you know, kind of welcome to 1995 is when it there. opened, Alan. Look, right. They broke ground in 1989. Let's keep that in but, mind. Well, you yeah. know, so we're just trying to say that I'm giving them the complete benefit of the doubt that right. they had the latest and greatest equipment. Right. And... We weren't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, with the the amazing FedEx barcode systems hadn't been completed yet. Isn't um, that something? Well, and, and here's kind of a thing, because I happen to know the guy that helped develop that system that where the barcode could become part of the tracking of anything. Oh, so that's what started uh, package tracking and stuff? Well, that, yeah. I'm sure he lives here in Memphis, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, if you ever want to meet him, he's a um, a very nice guy. I see him on a regular basis. Okay. But part of that team was developing the ability of a barcode to track with an item. And okay. this was the early days of that, and it wasn't quite there. And they're trying to automate all this, and they were trying to use different codes and different city abbreviations, and there were all kinds of different ways to try to track these packages, and the machinery wasn't, well, all that well dialed in. So we have some classic photos of, you know, people's undergarments getting sprayed all over the outside of an airplane because the the, bag, the, the baggage couldn't handle being handled like that. Uh, I have a question, Alan, because I'm not, you're the techie guy. Does this, it, it, okay, so we're talking, you know, late 80s, early 90s and everything. Is this... I know they always talk about analog and digital. Were we right. still in the analog age or were we in the transitional age? We were Because that half seems and to half. me. Okay. Yeah. All right. The analog days is where you had a big code on it that said, we're going to Denver, D-E-N. So the human looked for D-E-N, not D-A-R. Right. Because that was Darwin. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you, you threw the package in the right thing. So then they had cameras trying to read it. Right. But if the package was turned the wrong way or it got smudged or something wasn't printed right, right. then your D-E-N might look like a D-A-R and your package went to Darwin and not to Denver. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. or as happened in Memphis, bless their hearts, there's also a Memphis, Texas. Right. And a lot of stuff from Memphis, Tennessee wound up in Memphis, Texas. The, the reason I led with the uh, robotics um, mm -hmm. baggage system, Alan, is because it, the majority of it was underground. You know, right. the idea. And and these these tunnels, this tunnel system, it's very advanced. It's a, it's a pretty wide network of tunnels. It makes a lot of sense from the point of view of, okay, well, the, all of this could be happening underground. There's no traffic. You're not dealing with snow. You're not dealing right. with rain. However... The basement, or, you know, for lack of a better term, the basement is the foundation of what's being, you know, built upstairs. So I'm assuming that this held up construction above, I would have to yes. believe, right? Which, so well, you get zero, I, I guess my, my point was, even in a home improvement project or something, you might get zeroed in on this one niche idea. Yeah. And especially if it's a new idea, or maybe it's something that's 
unproven or maybe not even well recommended, well, it can sl slow the whole project down, right? Well, the technology we're talking about, a simple three years later mm -hmm. enabled Amazon.com to become the megalith that it is today. Right. So we're, we're talking right at the cusp of these technologies. Right. Now, keep in mind, when they started digging this airport, and I do literally mean those words, digging it. Oh, yeah. They basically dug up Manhattan. Yeah. I think, think of that. that. They the dug up the entire island of Manhattan to begin laying an airport. Right. Because yep. this airport's ideal was that we're going to basically be the world's biggest jiffy lube. <laughs> because we're going to work from underneath. Right. Rather yeah. than trying to bring all of this big bulky stuff up alongside and trying to move it and trying to... This was going to be a subterranean city of where literally you pulled the plane in, you took the stuff off, you dropped it down the chute. Right. And then the luggage ran through miles of this stuff and appeared wherever you need it to appear. It, it, it reminds me of the reverse of what you see when you go to the bank and you put your check in the tube and it shoots up and then it goes right. to the teller, you know, it, it's the drive through lane. It's the exact lane. same idea. Right. So, unfortunately, that didn't really work. And, it, no. um, and <laughs> United yeah. Airlines was the only one that, that um, stuck with it. All the other airlines bailed out and they said, we're not dealing with this because it's too much right. hassle and then but uh even 10 years later they just gave united said okay i'm sorry this isn't working we just we tried we tried to back you up on this but so that was one um one problem the okay so we said this two billion dollars over budget is nothing mm -hmm. to sneeze at yeah. and and being you know 16 months behind schedule well um this a lot of this is where we get into um I don't know if we want to get okay before we get into the conspiracies. Let me mention one other thing. So the the like we said, they wanted to reflect the spirit of the West, and when Correct. we think of the West, we think of um, cowboys, we think right. of the Native Americans, we think of uh, all the expansion that happened out west, rugged the rugged frontier. So they they had an idea to have this interesting uh, sculpture of a horse mm. greeting you at the airport. We're going to get back to him later. Put a yeah. pin in that. But the the roof of the airport is very unique. It's a it's basically I don't want to I don't know if it's a fabric. I think it is, Alan. It's a and it's meant to mimic kind of the Native American uh, dwellings, like you know, with uh, well, that's great in terms of aesthetic wise. It's not great when they're piled with snow and rain, and these things frequently tore, and yes. suddenly the concourse was just full of snow and what that seems like a pretty big design flaw to me. Uh, well, am I wrong? I mean, <laughs> well, all right. On paper and on math, it looks cool. I won't, well, on paper, know. it worked perfectly. Okay. And as Patton once told us, everybody's war plan is perfect until the enemy shows up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the once in a lifetime, hundred year storm now shows up about every five years. Mm -hmm. And, so that one massive storm that we knew we weren't going to have to worry about for 20, 30 years, well, it showed up like year two. Right. And yeah. this tour, that tour, this got beat up, that, you know. So welcome to all of the greatest of ideas, but not necessarily the most pragmatic implementation. And also, I have to wonder if they built into their into their um, time frame, the, um, I mean, the weather is pretty severe in Denver. Yes. You get pretty, you know, and so the building conditions, I wouldn't want to be a contractor out there. I don't know what that's like, yeah. you know, but working um, at 20 below with a 30 mile an hour wind trying to. Yeah, right. 
So another feature, though, that's important to mention is the fact that they uh, they wanted this to be a mecca. They didn't want you to just go to the airport, get your uh, Starbucks coffee, run to your plane and get there. They wanted you to, to in- enjoy the ambiance. Right. They wanted this to be a place that's maybe almost a destination in terms of art and culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so they wanted artists to get involved. I got to wonder who who handpicked these artists because uh, that's that's question one. And they gave artists more or less a lot of latitude. Usually when you go to an airport, it's pretty safe, you know, kind of mundane right. stuff. Or, or it's focused. Or at least it reflects the spirit of your city or yeah, something. Right. You, you, a lot of times you can get transient art exhibits. Yeah. So we're exhibiting a certain type of art for a certain length of time. They didn't just build it into the property. Right. Right. I think the art is where really what triggered a lot of the uh, conspiracies that we're going to unpack in a minute. So, If the ahead. art is a reflection of the area that you're in, I kind of want to live in this area. <laughs> <laughs> I think the art, I think the fact that it went $2 billion over budget, that it took, you know, almost two years, well, a good year and a half longer to build, and the fact that Denver is strategically located um, and it's often rumored to be the place that if we ever do have a nuclear war, that's where all the elites are going to go hunker in because they 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 set up, you know, they set up their headquarters underground, under the mountains, kind of like the dwarfs did in Lord of the Rings. Oh, and hell. and so that sparked conspiracy, which is, that's the part that I got to be honest. Yeah, we're going to throw in the me. words Freemasons, which automatically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot just, of that stuff. That starts it right there. Yeah. And honestly, folks, if you're looking for videos about the construction of the uh of the airport, you're going to have a lot more trouble than you are. If you if you, if you you type in uh, Denver Airport and Conspiracy, you're going to have more <laughs> videos than you can handle. But uh, we're going to unpack that a little. You know, it's Halloween oh, now. It's Let's great. have a little fun. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. We've got other other goodies. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Ah, my glass! News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. <laughs> that sounds like it needs to be another uh, battle wounds. Uh, and I tell you. Battle cry. So, yes, yeah, st- watch it with those clamps, folks. Mm. Be careful. Oh, yeah. Anyway, welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Oakland Studios. is Fox News Radio here. Okay. <laughs> weird, weird vibe today. You can call. <laughs> I'm Joe Thornton. I think the it's Illuminati. the Denver Airport getting revenge on us. It is. It, it, the Illuminati. Are Illuminati. Uh, I'm Joe Thorderson here with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and uh, Max over there who pushed the wrong buttons from time to time. <laughs> you can call or text us. I like us. blaming the Illuminati. Exactly. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to Tool Talk Radio on Facebook and uh, give us a like and check out the action over there, including a video uh, uh highlighting some of the features that in our discussion that we're going to get to right now. We've been talking about great moments in building history. And in honor of Halloween, uh, we wanted to go with something a little weird, a little spooky, a little unusual. (laughs) So we went to uh, the world's weirdest airport, the Denver International Airport. And in the the first segment, Alan, we were talking a little bit about the construction, about, Mm. uh, you know, hats off. They were trying to do something new and revolutionary with this um, automated baggage system which they tried they did their best they built an entire infrastructure around it and it just didn't work so they had to recircle back i have to believe that's probably one of the reasons that did go two billion dollars over budget that's got to play a role 
However, the mm, conspiracy easily. theories began after this because there's so oh. much. I, I really think it was triggered by the bizarre artwork that's in this um, that's in this airport. No, I think part no, of that, you no. know. Okay, we'll go ahead. When, when they started digging, okay, and and nobody had built an airport like this before. Mm, yeah, I think so, that's what they were going for. Yeah, they well, wanted something and, and it's new. Exactly. Well, so this is one of these things where you walk out there and you say, "Hey, Joe." Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to dig up the whole backyard. Yeah. And then two weeks later, you tell you walk over to Max and go, Max, you are not going to believe what Alan did. He dug up the whole backyard. All right. Everybody knew what we were trying to do at the Denver airport, right? Okay. Everybody knew, but the the sheer scope of it, when you took a look at the pictures or you drove by and realized. They honestly dug up the island of Manhattan. This thing is just huge. Everybody in their brain went, nobody needs this much dirt moved. Well, here's the thing. If so now the, yeah. the conspiracy theories began going, what are they really up to? Because keep in mind, you've also got the UFO stuff going on in the mid-90s. Sure. You got all the government conspiracies going on in the mid-90s. Art Bell was at his height. We got, then, I got all yeah. of this going on. So there's a, there are news articles, if you go back mm -hmm. to when they're building this, that literally began with, so what's going on in Denver? Why did you need to dig up, you know, half of a mountainside? Right. And, and the other part to keep in mind is, okay, well, if you're building a skyscraper, if you're building a building, you can sit there from the street and watch what's being built. Well, when you're going underground, you might be going underground one story or you might be going underground 50 levels and you're creating this underground complex for who knows what's you know and that's where the speculation begins but, yes but the thing about it alan what i still can't i'm sorry i keep going back to the artwork because okay, okay oh, so let's for go one, to the artwork okay because for one thing you want people to feel pleasant and comfortable and there's some people that are afraid of flying there's some people that are right. uncomfortable in airports so you want the imagery to be positive and comforting you don't want picture you don't want a mural of children singing over a dead nazi soldier wearing a gas mask for example <laughs> i mean hey i'm like you know there's a theme in art called a memento mori which is like remember you will die yeah okay so, like I don't why know don't you, you want to remember that at an airport yeah, but yeah hey well you could die <laughs> well okay, you the, know the, and, and the thing about it is the artwork is very cool it look and and um it's uh there's some others that are there. Hmm? At first glance, it looks fun, and then you take a look at the details, and there's burning buildings, and there's apocalyptic images, and um, well, Alex Sweetman's The Art Chronicles is a beautiful picture of a huge sunflower field. Okay, about two weeks after it died. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, from a gardening point of view, I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh, look at all this. They're getting ready to harvest the sunflowers. Okay. I mean, well, everybody hey, else went. It's a dead field. I okay. mean, well, hey, Joe, one of your favorite bands is the Smiths and they all they do is sing about negative stuff in a happy way. And it is fun music. So I don't know. Go figure. But Alan, here's what greets you when you pull up to the uh, <laughs> when you pull up to the and this has to be mentioned when you pull up. Uh, to the airport, you're greeted by a massive statue, and you've you've been there, yes. you've seen it in person, yes. and so you know. Okay, well, naturally, you're in Denver. I mean, you got the Denver Broncos, you've got horse right. the West. You're gonna showcase a horse. Well, <laughs> this horse, they they've nicknamed it's blue. It's a blue horse with flaming red eyes. Yes, nicknamed Blucifer. Yes, which that's what the locals have called it because it does look it looks demonic. But Alan, there's a dark history. Can you tell us about the artist? Well, I, that, 
Because this is kind of tragic. It's nothing uh, to laugh at. Pena yeah. Boulevard was the artist on this, and the title is Mustang. That's his idea. That's the title of Mustang. And the hair is supposed to be thick and wavy to show you the power of the West. The horse is supposed to be in full impressive structure to express the power and the will of the people of the West. Right. And the red eyes indicate that it's the power and the flame and the passion of the West. <laughs> and it comes together and man, it's just a really giant, big blue horse and where it's sitting is kind of on a raised area. Yeah. So, so it looks even of, bigger. Yeah. All of the pictures that everybody takes of it, there's always like heavy weather. Blowing in behind it, or lightning so you flashes, get the, oh, or sun so sunset, you get the or best so. effect. But but and what happened to this artist? The, the horse is considered cursed, right? Because there was an accident just before it was finished, and of a piece of it actually broke off and slammed into Luis Jimenez, who was. The guy commissioned to make this thing. In his studio. Right. And yeah. so he's in his studio and he's working with, you know, people like Diego Riviera and Jose Clemente Orcozo. And they're talking about the colors and how this thing's supposed to be great. And just shortly before it was finished in 2006, I think it was, a piece of the sculpture fell off, hit him in the leg, severed his artery, and killed him. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? Because it's, um, you know, okay. What are the odds of that? And then and plus he couldn't get to a hospital. Yeah, but, I mean, his, that's very sad. His family sad. had it finished and in complete honor of him as exactly how he had it finished. Um, they unveiled it in February of 2008. But, I mean, you can't deny it's a weird looking statue. It, it's it's creepy. And then the coloring does not help, which to me was another um, important reminder of the importance of uh, choosing the right paint color. Because I'm sorry, if this thing had normal eyes and... Maybe it was colored in a more friendly color. It would probably look just pretty yeah, adventurous and it's, cool. Uh, but it's, I got to tell you, when you drive by this thing, yeah, you thirty-two feet does not do it justice. This thing looks like Godzilla. If you see a thirty-two-foot statue, huge. that's big. That's probably as big as huge. You know, so, um, okay, so there's the artwork, but here's okay. So part of the conspiracy right, I, too. Personally, I adored the gargoyles. Adorning yeah, the gargoyles. whole thing all around the baggage claim areas. Mm -hmm. You got all the gargoyles with the classic, with the tongues hanging out and everything. They're absolutely fabulous. Not what you expect to find in an airport, I freely admit. Okay, but here's the thing. Let's just let's just put our uh, tinfoil hats on here, Alan, because <laughs> let's suppose. Okay, because people, there are people as serious as they can be. They're like, this is a... This is a full-on underground network. This is a, you know, some nefarious group put together a transportation hub, underground headquarters. It's their command station. Well, let's, okay, what if that's true? What better way to disguise it than to just say, you know what? We're going to put this out there and we're going we're gonna to tell people that's what it is. We're going to put all this weird artwork. We're going to put this creepy horse and the only people that will probably actually believe that are the conspiracy kooks who well, we can easily dismiss. So it's the best camouflage. You can, they're hiding it right out in the open. Well, all right. So, I mean. Here's one of the best conspiracy theories they have. Okay. Is right there uh, above the dedication stone is the, everything laid out in Braille. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's okay. a big Braille stone there. And the urban legend is that the Braille stone is actually a touchstone. 
Okay. And if you play the characters in the right order, you'll be able to open some kind of time capsule to it or that it is actually some kind of Masonic reader. Right. And because of the urban legend, employees have seen visitors going through and some of the people, especially if they belong to the Masonic orders, they have membership cards. Oh, yeah. And you'll see people go by and and do kind of like the, you know, touch card. Like, like a little scan deal. Like, you know, okay. trying to see if it'll scan their card. Of So, you know, I just, it's a Braille plaque. But everybody wants it to be something more. Of So, congratulations. It's got a couple of urban legends to it. If you press the right combination, it's magically going to open. Or it can scan your Mason card. Or uh, maybe it's touch technology like our modern credit cards and you wave it by and something's going to say hello. Yeah. Of There is a group. Now, part of the capstone to this, it mentions a group called the New World Airport Commission. And see, there Which you go. Which doesn't is, exist. Well, hold on, Alan. I lived, <laughs> you and I lived through the 90s. We remember the big hubbub when oh. George Bush said the New World Order and people oh, yeah. just lost their minds. So... They could have worded this any way they wanted, but they put the word they "new put world" those in there. words in it. I'm telling you, this is probably some somewhere along the lines the the marketing uh, campaign for this was brilliant. Because I, now I want to go to the Denver airport. I want to see this. Oh, I don't care if I have to. T I, if I'm going to California, I don't want the nonstop flight. I want to go and stop in the airport for a five hour layover right. and check well, it out. So, and because of the number of uh, UFOs or lights in the sky sightings sure. in the mountains of the next one was that ET and or the lizard people or the greys or whoever of have taken up positions in many of the underground tunnels under the Denver airport because, well, they weren't good for anything else. Right. So why not have the aliens living there? And the marketing department at the airport has periodically leaned into of some of these legends. No, they they're they're shameless. They've got pictures of aliens and stuff on in the in the airport and they're like help us uh you know You know, I love the ad campaign to announce the new restaurants and bars that were being built in the airport. Uh -huh. And there's this big huge poster. It looks fantastic and <laughs> I'm not going to say very well photoshopped but they've, you know, photoshopped the, you know, the the uh, stock photo right. of the, you know, they always have a stock photo of some guy standing there, you know, looking like he's at the airport, right? Yeah. Except he's got green hands and a lizard head. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what are we doing at the DEN? We're adding amazing new restaurants and bars. And then underneath it, it says, and by the way, we're also adding an Illuminati headquarters and we're remodeling the lizard people's lair. Right. But, but there like, you go. Oh, you guys are just killing me. Perfect, perfect way to disguise it. Well, Alan, we, we, you know, we're steering into geek tank radio territory, so we probably ought to uh, wrap it up. But folks, I would welcome encourage to, you. Just welcome to Halloween year round in the airport. Yeah. And and, and uh, folks, go there because they're, they're in the middle of an upgrade right now. And they've built some really beautiful, uh, like a really beautiful, I think it's like a 500 room hotel that's connected mm -hmm. and this thing is not your cookie cutter hotel it's really nice so they definitely respect art out there i will give them that right so you know but let's shift gears alan we gotta uh <laughs> we're gonna go to lebanon right the lebanese right yeah, um, yeah this let's... is this is science i guess this is sciencey i don't know if i warned you about this max but um it's 
it's kind of science. It's being forced into upgrading. This has to do with solar power. You were you sent me a story about um, how the Lebanese um, grid is starting to collapse and it's starting to either well, become overwhelmed and they're sort of being forced to steer into uh, solar technology. Is that right? Well, Which you, you don't want to wind up in that situation. It's not you know? necessarily the word forced, but okay. you know, here we're going to have. Well, if you think about it today, Joe, if if you and I go to the big box store or we follow a lot of the vendors that we deal with, right? Solar, wind, thermal, hydro, all there's a lot of options available. Yeah, and solar being basically the easiest. And, and we're seeing it in a lot of mundane things like lights or oh, alarm. There's there's cameras that are solar powered. Solar you know? powered lights, powers of the biggest thing was the battery. Right. So now that other companies, especially a lot of the generator companies, are jumping into the house battery uh, idea, a grid is getting less and less important. Now, in a country like Lebanon, where their grid has been under a lot of pressure right. for a lot of different reasons for many, many years, a lot of new facilities, productions, and houses are just kind of basically going, we don't need the grid. Isn't that something? So oh, what so this we're going to do? Thing. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do? Well, since the grid isn't all that reliable, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and put in a space bank of batteries. We're going to slap solar on the roof, and you know, hey, while the grid's working, we can sell power back to the grid. Or if it's a big cloudy day, we can get some power from the grid. But basically, a lot of this country is looking towards. The alternative energies. Okay, I got a question, Alan. Is this the type of thing? Because I I've got you know friends in California, and they get those rolling brownouts. You know, because they have Californians have their own power issues. It does does uh do they have the same kind of situation here where you're like, okay, I'm tired of my power going off for four hours in the middle of, when I'm yeah. trying to work, so I'm just gonna. I mean, they're get in the middle the of the grid. They're in the middle of a desert, right? You know, I mean, so, you know. Okay. So you know, so you're trying to build a new of. We're just gonna say you and I are gonna build a big banquet hall. Right. It's gonna be twenty thousand square feet. So that means we got what twenty two thousand square feet of roof. Sure. Yeah, that sounds. Well, right. we're in a desert. Right. That's twenty two thousand square feet of energy generation. Mm, yeah. If we got a couple of decent of you know storage batteries in the back to level out the power, we can you know what do we need? What do we need with the grid at that point? Right. So if there are rolling brownouts and there are pressures against the grid that you know we don't want to have to deal with, why not just work around it these days? Yeah. So it could be a downer story that. Their grid's not that great, and their technology hasn't really kept up. Or it's a really positive story in the fact that we now have options. Yeah. This is a, a huge leap because now you're decentralizing your grid. Can I say something? And I want to get on my soapbox, Alan, but this is because it's always easy to listen to the news of the day and just go, okay, we're doomed. This is, you know, it's never right, going to work. Right. This notion of, okay, yeah, right, Alan, we're ever going to, as though we're going to one day be off the grid. Well, just think of this, folks. In our own lifetime, I remember, uh, I remember my phone bill back in the day. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to make a long-distance phone call, oh, remember how gosh. expensive that was? Oh and my gosh. remember what a hassle it was. And these days, nobody even thinks about, if I, I got to call my buddy in California, you could talk for three hours and nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It, you have one flat bill. So the long distance phone call in our own lifetime is something that's 
nobody would have predicted that well, that's I'm a, just going to go away. Look behind the glass at Max over here, and he yeah. has no idea what we're talking about when right. you had to call the operator at a certain hour because the rates changed. And you had to be in your home tied to a phone that had a cord that you can he's, only go he's, six he feet has away. no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, hey, I've seen that stuff. I haven't really experienced it too much, but, you know. Well, you haven't paid yeah, the bill, Yeah, you saw it in a movie. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or The Simpsons. Right. Yeah, you saw The Simpsons. So who's to you know, say we stuff used to like wait this until, isn't yeah. yeah, we used to wait until Sunday evening after 8 p.m. to call Aunt Millie. Right. Because the rates dropped in half. To me, this is something people would look back 100 years from now and go, can you believe they used to have power companies? They used to have, you know, whatever. Well, I understand that we're going to need a degree of that. but Exactly. I don't think know. a power company is ever going to go away, but I think... This is a great example of what, if everybody just kind of makes up their mind that we're just going to move forward. Right. And quit, you know, just, we just need to move forward. Let's be pragmatic. If we know this is going to be a problem, let's take care of the problem. Right. And again, you and I are building the 20,000 square foot banquet hall. We know we need X amount of power. We know we need X amount of space. This automatically solves a huge expense. It's part of the ongoing construction, so we built it right into the process, and now you've got the batteries, now you've got the power, and you've decentralized a, a major part of what was the problem is now part of the solution. Okay, you said something, too, and you, I, I think we sort of glossed over it, which I don't want to do. You said something that's actually pretty critical. You said that other companies are shifting and they're getting into the battery. You know, they were doing generators and now they're like, right. okay, why don't we look at home batteries? And to me, the more competition you get, the more, the better the results are going to be. And the oh, more it, choices for consumers, which is always a good thing. So the fact that they're seeing that it could be lucrative, that's good. I think that's a good thing. So, oh, I think I mean, it's an amazing, I have been waiting for the house battery since reading uh, Robert Heinlein books 40 years ago. Right. And which he talked about houses having their own individual power cells. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that would be amazing. Because 40 years ago, when I first started looking at the alternative energies, you know, we started looking at alternative energies back in the 60s. Right. And... You know, that was 60 years ago, but we just didn't have a way of storing the power. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 60 years later, technology has brought us to a point where a little competition, let's get a few research firms, you know, competing to see who's going to get to the big box store first. Right. And now suddenly you got two or three days worth of energy in the can. You're not worried Just about the big the storm grid. taking out the grid. Right. You're going to be fine. You'll be good for a few hours till they get the grid to back up. Right. Uh, this is, I, I'm just looking at this as one of these flagship moments where suddenly the fringe becomes the mainstream. Yeah. And everybody thinks, you know, it, 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 I've, I've heard a great quote. They said, you know, all these ideas are, uh, yeah, impossible till somebody just does them. And then, mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I was just thinking of something else, Alan, because it seems like we were, last week we were talking about these ocean batteries that are, yes. uh, it's based on water currents and movement. It's basically you you, you capture the the, the motion. Uh, what are those uh, water wheels like they had in Europe that, that basically right. uh, 
what are those called though? They're just called water They're called water paddle wheels, wheels yeah. or whatever yeah. on the side of some somebody's got a mill or somebody's got a yes. wood shop and they use that to power their Ran saws. Ran a little water over it and yeah. Well, well as we know underground there are all sorts of water current. There's all sorts of rivers going underground mm-hmm. there. So what if what if there's a way someday you just, just you just stuck a turbine down there. You stick a turbine under your house and that continually moving water is giving you electrical power. I just think there's man uh, Max and I have talked about that. The more the more high tech we get, the more organic and natural I think this stuff's going to start looking. And uh, tapping into this is it's pretty exciting. So um, I don't well, know, man. Well, people have looked at this and said, well, you know, of you know, your problem with this is, you know, they start listing a litany of problems, and it's kind of like we've had a litany of problems with every power source we've ever used. Yeah, because ask the whales. They were not fond of certain power sources for hundreds of years. Isn't that something? That's true. Yeah. I Think mean, let's be honest. You know, yeah. your great great grandparents read books by whale oil. Absolutely, and so, we don't do that anymore. No, so so, so stay positive, folks. You know, but uh, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in this in this industry over the next five years. All right, hey Alan, real quick, uh, we we always do this. We never get into uh, we never promote our stuff. I'm shifting gears. I want to quickly, if you don't mind, mm. I want to mention that uh, we're only a month away from the Memphis Comic and Fantasy Convention, which uh, you know we run. It's uh, it's it's it's. You know, it might surprise people to know what big geeks we are, but uh, (laughs) it's coming up November 18th through 20th, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Go to memphiscfc.com to check out the uh, information there. Go to the uh, Facebook page and check that out as well, and I'll update people as we get closer. Mm -hmm. But what's going on with Geeky Side TV? Oh, my gosh. Go to darkoakmedia.com. We've got new shows, new new adventures in food, and all kinds of other great stuff coming up. Okay. Wow. What a show. What a weird show. And and Alan, I, I suspect next week we might have a little more weirdness because, what, we're going to be a week before Halloween. Oh, yeah. It's Can't gonna wait. It's going to get interesting, especially with our great moments in building history. We've already sort of brainstormed, I think. Oh, for, we know where we're going next week. Anyway, but, uh, guys, it's it's we're out of time. Once again, the show flew by too quickly. But you've been listening to another action-packed and bizarre episode of uh, Tool Talk Radio. So on behalf of my buddy Alan Gilbreth and our pal Max behind the glass, I'm Joe Thorderson. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.